Yeah, I remember what it's like trying to get out of the house on a Sunday morning, right? Especially if you have kids. Not, you don't necessarily have to have kids for it to be hard to get out of a house on a Sunday morning. I really think the enemy is gunning for Christians on Sunday morning as we're trying to get ourselves to church. Um, he'll do whatever he can either to make us late or to get us here in such a frame of mind that we can't sing songs like this with a heart <laughs> that is able to resonate with it, right? And one of the things that might have happened for you on your way out the door this morning is maybe you forgot your Bible, and that's okay. So that's, we want to provide one for you. Maybe you don't have a Bible. We want to provide that, and you can take it home and make it your own. It would be our joy to do that. So whatever uh, your need might be, raise your hand, and we'll be glad to get a Bible to you. Um, while you are turning in your Bibles to Mark chapter 7, let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed that things are not always as they appear? Things appear different on the surface sometimes than they are underneath, right? Have you ever been looking for a used car, shopping for a used car? Now, down here, rust is not a big thing. It's not a problem, but where I'm from in the upper Midwest, you, when you go used car shopping, you need to take a magnet with you so that you can determine if what you're buying is actually the steel that the manufacturer sold originally or if that steel has been eroded by rust and now has been replaced with some other sort of material that doesn't have the same kind of integrity. Things are not always as they appear. And we live in a society of Botox and silicone and plastic surgeons, right? So that even extends to people. Things are not always as they appear. <laughs> but that stuff ultimately doesn't matter because it's on the surface, right? Man looks at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So if we were to sit down in a more intimate setting than what we have here this morning, perhaps in a living room with a cup of coffee, um, talking to one another one-on-one, -on -one, and we were to ask one another how we're doing, what, do you, what kind of an answer do you suppose most of us would give? Fine. I'm fine. I'm doing good, right? There'd be a smile. Uh, thumbs might be up. We'd be doing good. <laughs> would that be the, the truth of the matter? I mean, if we were to look at the heart? Maybe. Maybe it would be. But chances are pretty good that in those circumstances, things are not always as they appear either because we're good at putting a smile on. We're good at putting our thumbs up and saying, everything's great. But if we dare to look at our heart, we'll find that things aren't great, right? So things are not always as they appear. And that really is what's going on here in Mark chapter 7 as the scribes and the Pharisees are together with Jesus and his disciples and the scribes and the Pharisees are observing Jesus and his disciples eating a meal. And what they've observed is that the disciples of Jesus are eating without washing their hands first. So, uh, and the scribes look at them and, and are kind of casting judgment on these people because... The tradition of the elders is, is whenever they would return from the marketplace, they would make sure they would wash. And they had all sorts of ritual cleansings for all sorts of things. And they, that was an outward expression for them of their cleanliness before God. So as they observe Jesus' disciples not washing their hands before they eat, they are presuming that they are defiling themselves by eating in that manner. And then that calls into question their whole sense of purity before God. Right? And that's what prompts them to ask the question to Jesus, why do your disciples not follow the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? See, the, the undertext of that question is, what kind of a thing do you have going on here? You look like you're not living life according to the, the purity laws, the, the traditions. Looks to me like you have compromised integrity or compromised purity before God. 
but things are not always as they appear. So now let's turn and pick up this story in Mark chapter 7. Begin reading at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Now Jesus opens this particular section in an interesting way. He gathers the crowds unto himself, and he says, listen to me, hear me, and understand This is important. He wants all of them around him within an earshot to gather around and hear what he has to say because this is of utmost importance. And the first thing that he says as he's teaching them about purity before God is he says in verse 15a, he says, there's nothing outside of you that can defile you. There's nothing that's outside of a person that can enter into him and make you impure before God. And that really is good news, right? We're impermeable in that way. We're resilient in that way as humans. We don't get our hands dirty by doing work or by doing things and then happen to grab a sandwich and get some of that on the sandwich and then end up being defiled or unclean before God. That's really good news. And he says it's because it's purity before God is a matter of the heart. Now Jesus has been stewarding his life according to the Gospel of Mark in this way, in a way that demonstrates that he believes this and he understands it. Now, when Jesus comes onto the scene, we will see him stewarding his life in this way, believing that there's nothing outside of him that would go into him or, or no way that he could be affected by what's outside of him and thereby rendered unclean before God. He comes and it, it may appear on the surface that he is breaking these purity laws, but what he is doing with his life as he shows up and begins his ministry is showing, no, I am fulfilling these laws and the new covenant is now here. So think back to the first chapter of Mark and we see Jesus moving toward a leper. Right? Remember that? Jesus is teaching and a leper comes up to him and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, a leper is one who has a skin disease, right? And according to the law, is one that needs to be sequestered, one that needs to be quarantined, separated from the people because they are impure, they're unclean. And for anybody to move toward them or touch them, come in contact with them, means that their uncleanness gets on you and now you are defiled, you are unclean and need to go through the purification. But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't recoil from this leper as the leper approaches him. He comes right up to him. And do you remember what Jesus did? 
Yes, he reached out a hand and he touched the leper. And he actually had a cleansing effect on the leper. The leper was made clean. The leprosy had left him. So Jesus clearly demonstrating that he understands that there are things outside that don't defile a person. Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus moving toward and calling Levi, a tax collector, to follow him. Now, tax collectors were also people of questionable reputation, right? Their job was to collect taxes for the Romans, and they did so. They, there was a certain amount or a certain percentage that they were supposed to give to the government, and they would charge that and then some and put the balance in their pocket, right? So they were getting rich off of the people, and everybody knew this, and they were kind of people that you would avoid because of that, because they were unscrupulous folks. But Jesus moves toward him and says, follow me, and ends up sharing a meal with him and going to his house and reclining at table with him and with other tax collectors and other sinners. Jesus didn't recoil from this one who had questionable business methods. He actually moved toward him. Jesus believed that there's nothing outside of him that would go into him that would render him unclean before God. And we see perhaps the most dramatic um, demonstration of this in chapter 5 of Mark, where Jesus goes across the sea to the other side, to the land of the Gerasenes, and he is met as he gets out of the boat with the man from the tombs. This is the man, remember, who had a herd, if you will, of unclean spirits living within him, having heavy influence on his life. He was living amongst the tombs, which is another ceremonially unclean place. And he is in the most desperate of situations. This man is harm, uh, unable, he's doing himself harm, and he's unable to clean himself up. He's, he's completely powerless. And Jesus, when met with such a person, one who is unclean because of where he lives, and he is under the heavy influence of a herd of unclean spirits, Jesus doesn't recoil from him. Jesus moves toward him. And at the end of the story, this man is now seated at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind, he's clothed, and he's asking to follow Jesus and to be one of his disciples. Jesus clearly believed that there was nothing outside of him that would have an uncleansing effect on him as he moved toward people. Jesus clearly understands this, and he stewarded his life according to this. And that's what he's teaching here now. He's saying there is nothing that's outside of you that would find its way into you that will render you impure or unclean before God. And that really is good news, because that frees us up to be used by God for ministry, right? We can move into messy situations with people. We can move toward people who have a filthy mouth. We can move toward people who are filthy in bodily appearance. We can move toward their, their messy situations. And we can, if we will allow God to use us, we can have a cleansing effect on them without having to live in fear that whatever they're dealing with is going to get on us and render us impure before God. When my family and I first moved down to California um, a number of years ago, we lived in an apartment complex. And Jesse is smirking right now. He remembers that place. That, that was a place of, that was a rough spot. There was young couples living there, and 
domestic violence abounded. Uh, Lisa and I found ourselves needing to run in and rescue little kids from angry dads and angry moms that were threatening to kill one another. And we lost sleep and some of their mess, if you will, kind of got on us. Our lives were affected by them. But the fact is, it didn't render us unclean before God because of this. There's nothing outside of us that can go in to us and render us unclean. Because purity before God is a matter of the heart. Purity before God is a matter of the heart. So we are all cleansed by faith in Christ. And purity before God is a matter of the heart. Look with me at verses 20 through 23. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So there's nothing outside that defiles us. That's the good news. But the bad news is this. We're all defiled on the inside. And it's the things that come out of us, out of our heart, that defile us before God. These are evil thoughts. This list starts with the the summary of evil thoughts. God has an enemy. And one of the the ways that God defines him in Scripture is he is called the evil one. This enemy stands in opposition to who God is, to his character, to his plans and his purposes. That's the evil one. And these evil thoughts are thoughts that are not worthy of God. There are thoughts that are only worthy of Satan and the devil himself. These are thoughts, attitudes, and actions on this list that are evil. They stand in opposition to God. They stand in opposition to his plans and his purposes. These are the things that reside in our hearts. These are the things that defile us before God. As I was preparing to preach this message, the Lord made it clear that He wanted me to sit with this list and meditate on it. And I did that right over here in my office. And it wasn't pretty. Because the Spirit challenged me to take a close, honest look at my heart as I looked at the items on this list. And what I saw there wasn't pretty. God broke me. And what He wants me to do now is to have us together sit with this list and meditate on it together and search our hearts and see if we will dare take take an honest look at our hearts under the influence of the Spirit and allow Him to show us a glimpse of what is truly there. So before we do that, before we actually unpack this list a little bit, let me pause and pray and ask the Spirit to be at work. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name, thanking you and praising you that there's nothing outside of us that can defile us. That's really good news. And acknowledging, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, we need you to give us ears to hear now as we examine the the thoughts and the attitudes and the actions on this list. Um, Would you please show us a glimpse of our heart so that we can deal with the truth rather than pretending. So help us. Give us ears to hear. Glorify yourself as you do this. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So these are evil thoughts. The first one listed is sexual immorality. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had any kind of sexual expression outside of God's good design of marriage? Theft. Have you ever stolen something? Even a one-cent piece of gum as a child? Murder. Have you ever killed someone or even harbored anger in your heart? Listen to Jesus from Matthew 5. He says this, You have heard that it was said of those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We don't need to commit the physical act of murder in order to be defiled before God, in order to be impure or unclean before Him. All it takes, according to Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 5, is to harbor anger against a brother in our heart. Adultery. Have you ever been married, but engaged in sexual activity with someone other than your spouse? Listen again to Jesus. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, we don't need to act out on these things on this list physically to be defiled before God. It's enough just to have the impure thought in our mind to look at someone with lustful intent. That is what renders us unclean or defiled before God. Coveting. Have you ever desired to have more than what God has provided for you? Wickedness. Have you ever done something that lacks moral or social purity? Deceit. Have you ever taken advantage of someone through underhanded methods? Sensuality. Have you ever told or laughed at a raunchy joke? Envy. Have you ever wanted something that wasn't yours? Slander. Have you ever spoken of someone in a disrespectful way? Perhaps in a way that would tear them down in the eyes of others so that by contrast you might look like you have a higher position than otherwise? Pride. Have you ever had an undue sense of your own importance? Foolishness. Have you ever done anything that lacks moral or intellectual sense? Foolishness. This is quite a list. And if you're honest with yourself, if I'm honest with myself, who among us can read this list and with a shred of integrity lift our heads from it and go, I'm good? (laughs) Nobody. Nobody. We all know what it's like to struggle with one or more of the things on this list. And if we're honest, we probably identify to some level with all of them, right? The good news is, is there's nothing outside of us that goes in and defiles us. The bad news is, everything that we need to be defiled before God resides right here. It's already within us. We have dirty hearts. And apart from Christ, that's our end. There is no hope. We don't have a hope to be made clean 
before God. We're defiled. And we, come, we become masters at hiding this, right? We'll, we'll paint a veneer over it. We'll protect. We'll strive and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, work in order to present ourselves before others in a way that they only get to see the shiny parts. They don't get to see that dirty, greasy part of me that's under the hood. We can talk the talk. But if actually someone could have a window into our heart and actually take a look at what's there, they would find that our hearts are bearing a different testimony than our lips. It's like these Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus said this about. He said, oh, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They would do all sorts of things, come up with all sorts of ways to look pure in the eyes of people before God. But the heart of the matter was is their hearts were far from Him. They had no interest in following Him. The problem is, is purity before God is a matter of the heart and we all have rotten hearts. We are rotting from the inside out. It's like this piece of fruit. Before somebody took a bite out of it, the, the peel was shiny and there was no blemish. But all it takes is one bite and the core is revealed as rotten. You see how the, the peel looks good? There's no sign of a bruise. And the, the first little bit of flesh looks tasty. But at its core, it's rotten. And that's every one of us is like that apart from Christ. We all have a rotten heart. It's not the things outside of us that defile us. We are defiled from the inside. We can, we can deny our defilement. We can pretend it's not there. We can try to cover it up. We can try to put some more flesh over this to pretend that it's not there, but that's not going to do any good because the Bible is very clear. In Isaiah 64, God says that our attempts as humans to be righteous, those things are like a filthy rag. It's like moving toward an oily mess, an oil spill with a greasy rag and trying to clean it up with that. The harder you work, the worse mess is left behind. It's like moving into your kitchen after preparing food and trying to wipe off the counter and clean it using toilet water. You can probably get some of the chunks of food to come off of there, right? So that there aren't piles of food on the counter anymore. But if you actually take a deep look at your counter after that, you've left it in a worse mess than when before you started. Our attempts as humans to clean up our hearts before God are worse than futile. They actually compound the problem. Purity before God is a matter of the heart. And apart from Christ, we all have a defiled heart. And only God can purify a heart. Only God can move in and accomplish what needs to be accomplished in order for us to be pure before God. Listen to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, by God's grace, enters into an awareness and experience, if you will, of the throne room of God. The, the holiness of God is made known to Isaiah. And as that happens, as he catches a glimpse of God's holiness, he is made aware of the contrast of his unholiness, of his unrighteousness. And he is shaken at his core. And he knows that that won't go well. Listen to Isaiah 6, beginning at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, 
I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of Him who called. And the house was filled with smoke, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has the clearest picture of God's holiness and righteousness and His glory that he's ever seen. And in contrast to that, he recognizes that he is a man unworthy of being in this one's presence. And he confesses, I'm a man, excuse me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Now was Isaiah like these Pharisees who honored God with his lips, but whose heart was far from him? We don't know, but one thing is sure, is Isaiah knows that there is a, uh, there's a problem. And he falls far short of the glory of God in the presence of God. And what does God do? Does he recoil from Isaiah? As he sees his unholiness in the midst of his holy presence? That's not what God does. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. In the presence of God Almighty, Isaiah recognizes he's a man of unclean lips and God sends one of his messengers with tongs and a burning coal from the altar and moves right toward Isaiah at his point of confessed impurity. And he purifies him. He makes him clean. He removes the guilt of his sin. Only God can cleanse a human heart. And it's a radical, radical procedure that is required in order to cleanse a human heart. Listen to the way the prophet Ezekiel explains it in chapter 36. Verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Now the house of Israel has rebelled against God. They have not been following Him in His ways. They've not been obedient to Him. And God now is motivated because of their impurity before Him. He's motivated to do something about it. And He reminds them why. It's not for, not for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name. That's God's motivation. He has created us. He's designed us intentionally with a purpose. And when we fall far short of that purpose, He doesn't recoil from us, but He moves toward us with holy intent out of concern for His holy name. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. 
and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God is motivated by his own holy name. And he is the one that takes initiative to deal with the heart issue of humanity that is defiled. Every one of us, we're not corrupted by what's outside, but we're already corrupted by what's inside. And God moves in and he does radical heart surgery. He reaches in and he removes that hard heart that refuses to bow the knee to God. And he places with it in its stead a soft heart, a heart of flesh, one that can beat for God. And beside that, he places his Holy Spirit that empowers that heart to actually beat for God and to follow after him and to begin to have an opportunity to walk again according to our design in being created in stewarding our lives in a manner that glorifies God. Only God can cleanse a heart. And this isn't just in the Old Testament that we see that. We also see that God has done that in the New Testament. After Jesus' ascension, the apostles go about proclaiming the gospel to Jew and Gentile alike. And Paul goes through and he preaches the gospel in Corinth. And people are converted. And later he writes a letter to them. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, to those made holy. So these are saints. They're in Christ. And yet they're dealing with this defiled heart still. We read about unspeakable sins that they're struggling with. As a church, the redeemed people of God still struggling with ongoing defilement of the heart. And he writes to remind them in chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or idolaters or adulterers or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Only God can cleanse a heart. Did you hear the passive language in there? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. God is the one who is actively moving towards sinful, rebellious people, ripping out the hard heart, putting in a soft heart, and by so doing, washing them, sanctifying us making us right and pure and holy before Him again. It's a radical procedure that's required to cleanse a human heart. It's a radical heart transplant that's required. Back to the car that we used in the introduction, the one with the rusty fender that has no more metal left in it, the procedure that would be analogous to that is to take a torch and to cut that defiled fender out and to weld in a new one that has the same original integrity and structure and shape that the original manufacturer had put in it to begin with. That's what God does. He takes out the defiled heart. He puts in a new one. 
And he empowers it by his spirit to live in a way that is holy and righteous, that is not defiled before him. And this is the gospel. God cleanses defiled hearts on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, the one who knew no sin, the one who never sinned, his holy and his righteous son, the one who knew all of these temptations, who can identify with everything on this list from Mark 7, knew the full weight of them. Contrary to us, we know some of the weight of those temptations, but we fall into sin. But Jesus knew the full weight of those, and he bore up under that weight and never once caved into sin. This one, this holy one, this righteous one, that never sinned before God, never fell short of the glory of God. He laid down his life. And when he did, he made perfect payment for sins. Because his blood was not required to make payment for his own, it can now be offered to make payment for yours and for mine. That is the gospel. Jesus comes as our substitute and bears in his body on Calvary's cross the righteous penalty for our sin and for yours. Look at this image of 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's an image of Jesus on the cross. And the red letters written on the crossbar are the words of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And on the vertical cross, as well as the outline of the silhouette of Christ's body, are all the lists of sins and vices and attitudes and actions that are listed in Mark chapter 7 and then some. This is the picture of the gospel. Jesus hung on the cross to make payment for all of those things. And God, by His grace, offers us grace. And He says, how will you respond to this offer of grace? Will you trust Jesus as Savior? Will you rest in the finished work of Jesus? Or will you go on trying to cover up your own sin? Will you go on striving, trying to look good, look holy, look righteous before me, God, and before others? Or will you accept it? Will you confess that you are a person with a defiled heart? Will you allow me to take out your defiled heart and to give you a pure heart? One that beats for God's plans and for God's purposes. The moment we trust Jesus Christ as Savior, a miraculous transfer happens. The penalty for our sin goes out from us onto Christ. And the righteousness that resides in Christ comes into us and is now ours by faith in Christ. Only God can cleanse a human heart and He cleanses human hearts on the basis of faith in Christ. And He's been doing this. Listen to Acts 15. I'm sorry. Yes, Acts 15. When the good news of the gospel had gone out to the Gentiles and it got word back to Jerusalem, the Jews there were thinking, well, do we need to circumcise these Gentiles in order for them to be pure or made right before God? And they met and they talked about it. And they decided, no, for this reason. Paul says in 15, verse 6, 
the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Human hearts are cleansed by God on the basis of faith in Christ. And we are about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. We are about to participate in in the blood and the body of Christ. And as we do, we will remember what it cost the Lord Jesus to purify our hearts, what it cost Him to make perfect payment and to satisfy once for all God's wrath against sin so that we might be made clean before God and righteous and by faith be able to stand up righteous before Him and live a life of righteousness, a life of purity, a life of holiness, empowered by God's Holy Spirit Himself. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Paul says this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we participate in this, we are remembering once again what God gave, the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that was completely effective in making perfect payment for sins. We remember that by participating in the body and the blood of Christ. And we must do so in a worthy manner. Listen to verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So now before we participate in this, having remembered that there's nothing outside of us that goes in and defiles us, but that we're all defiled by what comes out of us because it comes out of our heart and we all have a defiled heart. Only God can cleanse a defiled heart and He does so on the basis of faith. We now have an opportunity to revisit this list, this list of sins that we were sobered by as the Spirit brought conviction to us and to examine our hearts and to say, how will I approach this table? Will I approach it by faith? Or will I approach it still trying to cover up my unrighteousness, still not daring to show my heart to God for fear that if I do, He would recoil from me. You see, fact, some of us are sitting here this morning feeling defiled. We know what's in our heart. Even before we read that list, you know what's in your heart and you feel impure before God. But God will not run away from you. He will move toward you. He stands with His arms wide open and He invites you to come. All you who are weary and heavy laden, come to Me. I will give you rest. You can stop striving to cover up your sin. Come to Me. Just lay it at the foot of the cross. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, I will be making you whiter than snow. That's the offer. Some of you have never trusted Christ. Today might be the day when you do that for the first time. Then you can rise up after that and you can participate joyfully in the Lord's Supper. Remembering the body of Christ that was given for you and the blood of Christ that was shed for you so that you in Christ can be made righteous before God. You can stand before God in confidence. You can rise up and leave this sanctuary at the end of this service in confidence knowing that in Christ you are pure before God. You are holy. You're righteous. And His Spirit dwells within you and will empower you to live in a manner that's worthy, in a manner that's consistent with your identity in Christ. Servers, I invite you to come up now and prepare so that the saints can come forward and participate in the Lord's Supper. As they're coming forward, I want to invite all of us to bow our heads and to pray. And to think again what it is that we need to lay at the foot of the cross so that we can rise up with integrity, participate in the Lord's Supper, celebrating all that God has done to purchase our salvation and to make us pure again before Him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You and we praise You that everything that needs to be done for us to be pure and holy and righteous in Your sight, You have done in the person and the work of Your Son, our Lord Jesus the Christ. And we thank You that You stand with arms open wide, ready to receive receive us, even though we have defiled hearts. You will not turn Your back on one who turns to You in faith and accepts Your offer of grace. So Lord, each one of us now We want to deal with our hearts in a manner that honors You, in a manner that glorifies You, in a manner, Lord, that recognizes who You are and all that You've done. Lord, there's some among us who feel defiled not only because of what we have done, but because of the things that have been done to us. Lord, I pray that by Your Spirit You would speak words of hope and life and health to them and that You would help them to recognize that they can be made whiter than snow by the blood of the Christ. So Lord, minister to us by Your Holy Spirit now. Speak words of hope to people who feel like they've lost it. Speak words of life to those who feel like they're dead. Speak words of rest to those who have been striving to cover. Speak words of righteousness to those of us who are well aware of our unrighteousness. Empower us, Lord, to respond to Your offer of grace by faith. And as You do, would You please glorify Yourself and build Your kingdom. It is in Your name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And into Your hands, Lord Jesus, that we commit ourselves. Amen.